How's it going, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the Crawford Talks. Mike, an eventful weekend, to say the least, in Oakland for the, the Houston Astros. Um, you know, later in the show, we're going to get to an interview we did, we did with Astros reliever Blake Taylor, but it's going to be a jam-packed episode even before then because there was plenty of action, uh, especially on Sunday. Yes, the only thing that, that was lacking this weekend was uh, the hitting from an Astros standpoint. Otherwise, we had we had fireworks on Sunday. We had a very interesting weekend where uh, the Astros you know, basically had their worst week in the, in the division probably since 2016, essentially. And on the morning of the, the 10th of August, the division title looks uh, increasingly doubtful. Uh, but there there was a, there's a lot to unpack from what happened over these over these three games in Oakland. Yeah. And I guess we should probably start with the obvious for Sunday's seventh inning. Ramon Laureano, uh, Alex Cintron, um you know, I think we'll probably find out, um, you know, later Monday or, t- or maybe Tuesday um, about what discipline MLB is going to hand down for for the teams breaking the protocols for 2020 that say fighting is strictly prohibited. Um, but, you know, offering our takes on it and what we saw, I mean, what, what was your first reaction to um, just the whole ordeal? My first reaction, I was actually on the phone with with, with a friend of mine. I just kind of catching up, watching the game as this was going on. And we were towards the end of the phone call. And then I saw all this happening. I'm like, I got I got to call you back. I got to I got <laughs> to zone in on this because when Loriano started charging toward the Astros, like I'm like, holy bleep. Like I wasn't expecting this in 2020. Like I didn't think this 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 could actually happen. Um, my here are my quick thoughts. Um. I, I think there's wrong that goes on both sides, if that makes sense. So Ra- Ramon Laureano was hit twice in Sunday's game, and he was hit by Brandon Bailey in the fifth, and he was hit by Umberto Castellanos in the seventh inning. If you're actually watching the game and, and paying attention, there to me is zero chance that either of those rookies are actually throwing at Laureano, especially Castellanos. There was nobody on base. The Astros were already down by four or five runs at that point. It was a 3-2 pitch. It was an off-speed pitch. I can see where Loriano would be a little bit annoyed at being hit twice in the game because even if it's an 88-mile-an-hour you know, off-speed pitch, curveball, change-up, whatever, like that's still going to hurt. I get it. Um, so he was hit twice. He's a little annoyed. I can respect that. But the weird part to me where things escalated, Jake, which nobody really seems to be talking about it, is when Loriano started like gripping the baseball and I thought showing up Castellanos. And when you do that, I think you have to realistically expect some kind of pushback from the Astros. Now, what Alex Cintron did was not acceptable in egging on Loriano and basically calling him out and um, egging him on to you know rush at him essentially, right. but Loriano gripping that baseball and being aggressive towards a rookie pitcher like that, like you're gonna have a reaction from the Astros when you do that. Yeah, I have a few thoughts on this. Um, I don't think anyone thought it was intentional, right? Um, that that Castellanos or Bailey hit Loriano, but I I don't think it has to be intentional for Loriano to be frustrated, right? Agree. Um, Castellanos also hit Loriano on Friday. Um, so Loriano got hit three times in the series, twice by the same rookie pitcher who, um, let's be honest, is only on the roster because he'll pass through waivers once they have to DFA him, right? Yep. Like he's, he, he's not, 
you know, he's he's a rookie who's barely pitched above single A. He really like probably shouldn't be <laughs> pitching in major league games, especially important yes. ones in August. So I get that Loriano is frustrated that this rookie hits him twice. I actually don't have much of an issue with the gripping of the ball. I think it's like I don't know, like these guys should show their personalities, and if they're mad, they should show show it in a way that's not uh, breaking protocols. And you know, I mean, I get it. Like he got hit twice in the same. Um, series by the same pitcher. Um, I didn't have much of an issue with that, but I, I also understand that, of course, the Astros are going to have a, something to say about that. They want to protect their player. Um, Alex Centrone is the hitting coach, so he probably should just like not, he should probably sit that one out, right? Um, you know, if anyone, that should be Brent Strom. Um, That's who, is, who has an issue with, you know, you know, uh, Loriano gripping the ball uh, or feigning a grip and, and throwing it at, you know, showing basically showing Castellanos how to throw it, right? Um, yeah, I thought Cintron was completely out of line. Obviously, Loriano sh- can't charge the dugout like that, especially in 2020. But for a coach to, to do that and egg him on is, uh, and then hide behind the, the other players, right, is, is really weak. Well, my question, though, about the hiding behind the other players is, I mean, it's not like the other players are going to disappear. Like, once Loriano starts charging, they're not going to, like, they're not going to just, like, part the sea and just let those guys fight. But he kind of just stayed where he was, right? Like, he didn't, he he said, like, hey, come here and fight, and then just stood there while everyone else jumped in front of him. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, yeah, since there are are a lot of other people there, like, I I don't know how that thing is going to resolve itself. Uh, I, I think where I disagree is, I don't mind Loriano being frustrated. Like, I can understand it. And, and you correctly point out that he was also hit on Friday. And, and I would say that that situation on Friday was was way more of a high leverage spot. There was a runner on yeah, base. It loaded, it loaded the bases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it actually put two guys on because Kemp had walked. And then he actually and then Castellanos got the, got the first out. But that was a 1-1 game in the 12th inning, an extremely high leverage spot. Like, Castellanos, clearly, he's just a, a rookie who has control issues um so i think so i am sympathetic toward castellanos at the same point i can see where loriano would be annoyed i i don't even mind him barking back or yelling at the pitcher in that spot when he's frustrated i just think that like i think when you start doing things like gripping the baseball i do think you're showing the guy up and i think when you when you do that then you get into the territory of the other team is going to respond because they're going to defend their guy now, as far as Cintron, yeah, I, I can't. There's no way I can defend what he did. I, I, I agree with you that he was out of line, and I'm expecting a very heavy suspension. What's wrong with showing someone up if if you think they deserve it, though? Like, I, I feel like the unwritten rules of like you don't show a guy up are just like because I hate, because right? he, because I, I think you you can do it if someone is you you can't do it because someone's not a good pitcher. I think you I think you do it if someone is intentionally doing something if he's acting like a jackass on the mound. I don't think you do it if it's a young pitcher who's never pitched above a ball in the, before the last week who simply can't control all of his pitches. I, I think that's the issue. Yeah, I, I I guess I get that point. I just don't really I, I, I think it's okay to be frustrated and also not think he was thrown at him intentionally. Um like for from Loriano's standpoint. Like Agreed. I, I, we, I don't think he yes. thought it was intentional. Fair enough. Yeah, those two things, Jake, I I agree with you on those two specific things. He can't like he can definitely be frustrated. I get it. I just thought even watching that, I thought I thought the the reaction to me 
it surprised me from Loriano. I'll, I'll put it yeah. that way. It's he's a really me. passionate player, and and like we've seen yeah. this before with him, right? Uh, I think last summer he had a thing. I forget against which team, but he shows his emotions on the field for sure. And uh, I don't know. I think I think that's a, usually a good thing, right? Um, but yeah, you can't you can't <laughs> charge a dugout like that. Um, <laughs> you know that that was bad, uh, especially in 2020 when you know. We're all socially distanced, and this is explicitly stated in MLB's protocols that, um, you know, no fighting, no physical contact that's not game-related, and that was anything but that. Uh, pretty bad look for both teams when, you know, the Cardinals are still going through their outbreak and, and haven't played since late July at this point still. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's going to be some heavy discipline on both sides, um, you know, I think first of all, like leaving the dugout, they they showed in the Dodgers Astros incident that they'll find the manager for their team leaving the dugout. Um, you know, the the complicating factor here is Dusty Baker was in the clubhouse. Uh, yeah, he had already been ejected for arguing <laughs> balls and strikes. But yeah, I mean, I think coaches do have to be held to a higher standard. Um, Agreed. Alex Cintron is their hitting coach. It's not like he's. Just some random guy on the bench, um, and that was that was pretty bad. Uh, he he can't. I don't think it's appropriate for a coach to behave that way, um, you know. And yeah, I expect that he'll get he'll get pretty heavy discipline. Um, you know, it, it was weird post game in our like Zoom interviews because Dusty Baker hadn't really seen it. Yes, uh, and also said he hadn't spoken to Cintron, so he didn't really seem to grasp. Um, what exactly happened or what, what it looks like happened. So I'm curious to hear what he has to say Monday about it. But, um, you know, not surprisingly, the Astros did not give us uh, Alex Cintron for an interview. <laughs> yeah, there's a shocker. We did ask. I, I am annoyed already that the breakdown that we have just done about this incident is one that you will not see in the national media because like everyone is picking up at the point at which the pitch was thrown and then the fracas or however you want to term it uh, ensues. Like nobody is going to nationally, especially with the Astros talk about what happened earlier in the game, what happened on Friday, uh, why Loriano was annoyed. Like, and then it becomes very distorted on social media, which then starts to annoy me. Yeah, you really care about the national media response and social media, don't you? Yeah, I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. Like, I, I just, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a rough year. This, Man, it's already gotta, been a rough year. You got to control what you can control, and just and no, uh, I know we we can control the discourse we have on this podcast. And I think as long as we have what we think is you know fair and down the middle discussion about it, which we do, then we shouldn't worry about uh, what everyone else says. Um, one thing I will say, I'm, I'm breaking my own rule here. Can we stop calling it a brawl? Because like that is a national media thing or maybe yeah, even a local it, media thing. It, it wasn't a brawl. Like, not a brawl. It, there was no punches thrown. It was a – I used the word scuffle in, in my story. Incident. Uh, we, we pretty much uh, just alternated words of incident, altercation, scuffle. Um, I don't I – it's a fight, right? But it's not a brawl. 
It's not a brawl. It, it looked like it may have been a brawl initially when Loriana started charging. But once Dustin Garneau got him on the ground, there was maybe some pushing and shoving afterwards, which I'm, I'm sure Major League Baseball will take a close look at that video. But yeah, that was not a brawl. It, that's not a brawl. I mean, there's no. there's one guy charging. He was quickly subdued as if Garneau was like, you know, a Spanish bullfighter, basically. And uh, there was a little <laughs> push back and forth. And that was basically about it. It was yeah. not a brawl. I, I totally agree. What do you think of Garneau's uh, tackle there and like the decision to do that? He he just he actually did talk to reporters after the game, despite not even playing, and yeah, he described it as basically an attempt to de-escalate things and and avoid punches from being thrown. Um, but at the same time, like, does MLB discipline him because of the physical contact and, and that stuff with the 2020 protocols? I think it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens there. I, I'm going to say no, because I think that they should look at it and say, OK, well, Garneau is doing the one thing he he should do and could do in that spot, which is subdue Loriano as quickly and efficiently as as possible. Odd spot for Garneau, who played with the A's last year. So, you know, yeah. he knows Loriano really well, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I, I thought he did a really, good, really nice job of, of playing de-escalator in that spot. Yeah, the, the familiarity dynamic is interesting, too, because Loriano, um, you know, a lot of the guys know him. He was in the minors with uh, several current Astros. He was in major league camp for 2017 before uh, he didn't make it up with the Astros in 2017, but he was in major league spring training for, I believe pretty much the whole camp. Um, so the outfielders certainly know him from working with him there. Um, you know, and then he's been a, an opponent for a couple of years now. So I think everyone's relatively familiar with him. Um, and especially like the outfielders on the Astros know him. So that's another element that I thought was interesting to it. Um, but like I said, he, he's definitely a very passionate player. And, um, you know, Cintron clearly uh, was in the, also in the wrong there. So I think I think both guys can be wrong at the same time. I definitely I think both guys will be punished um, accordingly. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it it kind of overshadows the the other news of the weekend, which is that the Astros lost all three games to their biggest uh, division rival really the worst position the Astros have been in in their division since 2016 um, you know which is four years ago now so uh, kind of a, a changing of the guard it, it felt like in a way right yeah I, I think that the A's are going to win the division um, you I, I said you predicted I, that yeah, I, I picked that. I just think they're a better team. Um, I think their starting pitching is better. I think that their bullpen is better. Um, it, you know, listen, the, the Friday game was obviously a, a big sort of turning point when it, when it came to this series. The Astros should have won that game. They were a pitch away from winning that game. Seisty threw it on awful pitch to Austin Allen that ended up in center field, tied the game before the A's, you know, walked off on, I think, the the, the following or the, the batter after that. Uh, that was a brutal loss on Friday. Yeah, I don't think the division race is necessarily over because even though people are going to say, well, a five-game losing streak is the equivalent of, like, I think a 14-game losing streak over 162. The, the, the same logic can, can apply if the Astros, let's say, win two or three in a row against the Giants here in the next couple days. So I, I wouldn't go so much with the five games equals 14 games. It's just I, I think the A's are better, deeper, and I think that they are healthier right now. Yeah, their pitching impressed me. Um, oh, absolutely. Chris Bassett, like I didn't know he was that yep. good and and maybe he's not, but um he looked that good. Um Frankie Montas was was he really was good. Terrific. Uh we knew Jesus Jesus Lazardo was good, but uh their bullpen, like 
Birch Smith or what I think that was his name all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. coming in throwing like really hard and nasty breaking balls like yeah I think I agree with you I think especially given you know the Astros injuries I think the A's are the better team right now uh, I don't think their division race is over after 15 games I think you know um, the Astros percentage to win the division by fan graphs is around 20% still so like that's a little too early to say over but um yeah, it, I, it did feel like a like a like I said, kind of a changing of the guard weekend. Um, yeah, they, the Astros just—it's uh, weird, right? Like they're not pitching terribly at times. They're not their their offense is not existent against these really good teams. Yep. And they, and then when they do hit, they can't sync it up with the days they get the good pitching. It's it's really um, like I don't think they're a six and nine caliber team. I think they're probably like an eight and six. I agree or nine and six or eight and seven, whatever. But like it's, it's been a weird 25 first 25 percent of the season, first quarter of the season. Yeah, it's been weird. I think you explained it well. It's not the I don't think the Astros are below average. It's more that between the injuries and the inconsistency, there are a lot of games where they're not really quite putting it together. And there are two things to me that that stand out. One is the amount of close games that they've lost that are very winnable. The second Dodger game, I think, is a game that they should have won. Just so many opportunities in the bottom half of the inning, you know, batting at home with a t- with a tie score. Uh, they they needed to win that game. Uh, I thought, especially, you know, the the last two Diamondbacks games. I, I know the second one they lost fourteen seven, but I said it on the last episode. Like they're up four nothing with Lance McCullers, who was perfect through three innings, and all of a sudden the game just changes like that. And Friday, they rally with a Springer home run, give them credit, and then Ryan Presley comes in, four batters later, the game's over. Um, and then the, the Friday game in Oakland is one where, obviously, you blame the bats, but they had big pitching performances um, by Zach Greinke, who was outstanding, by Ryan Presley, who bounced back a day later and looked really good the next day, by Anoli Paredes, who threw so many clutch pitches on Friday. But unfortunately, so it's basically like Wednesday, they scored seven runs, starting pitching disaster. Thursday, bullpen disaster. Friday, couldn't hit basically the whole game. And you blame the bullpen a little bit because they were a strike away with Cy Snead. And then I thought Saturday and Sunday, it, it almost felt like they had no shots to win either of those games, especially the, ga- the game on Sunday. They have not, I'm probably going on too long here, but they just have not put it together, if that makes sense. I think the hitters are most at fault. The pitching is inconsistent right now. Yeah. And and we should probably mention like Framber Valdez looks like he's made real improvements. And oh yeah, pitched seven innings of one run, one earned run ball with nine Ks and one walk on Saturday, and loses. he was awesome. Um, yeah, they're just not putting like you, you, like you said, putting it together both all the you know aspects of the game at the same time. It's it's one or the other every every game. Um, but yeah, I don't think we can really blame the pitching too much, especially given all the injuries. I, I think it really is on the on the offense, and like you know, people are going to talk about their overall run average um, for the season being pretty strong. But like against the Dodgers and the A's, which are the type of teams that matter to them um, in the long run, like they're averaging less than two runs a game. So um, I think that's what you have to look at so far. Fellows, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. 
They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. This third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, valued at $39, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. When I when I look at this, I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at the offense right now, and I totally agree with your analysis. Like they, they need to do better against better pitching against better teams, like they face with LA and Oakland, and they have not gotten the job done. And you know Bregman's been a little bit better, um, but his on base percentage is 306. I'm going to try to avoid batting average here. Uh, Altuve <laughs> has has had a lot of struggles. Like he'll you know he'll hit the ball you know well you know basically every other day and then the, the other at bats are basically a waste essentially so you know he's slugging 407 on base 322 uh those two guys have been an issue although again you know Bregman's been better I think recently um Brantley has clearly cooled down which you expected but he's had a good season up to this point um and then uh, obviously one thing we do need to point out is they were without George Springer the entire weekend. So that is something that is going to be a factor, especially given the fact that the Friday and Saturday games were pretty close. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like this is probably going to drive you crazy, but I'm just thinking about this whole situation and I really wonder, and I'm not a, a psychologist or a therapist, Jake, I wonder how much the sign stealing scandal is affecting this team mentally. Now, it, it, I'm not saying that it's like the major factor for why they're six and nine. They don't have Justin Verlander. They don't have Garrett Cole. The bullpen is not nearly the same as what it was last season. They are not as talented. They're also beat up. They need Justin Verlander back, and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen anytime soon. They need Jordan Alvarez. They need Jose Urquidy because they need more options when it comes to the pitching staff or even the bullpen, depending on what Urquidy's role is going to be. But when I think about this team nationally, like you would forget this if you look at social media now, but I think the Astros were one of those teams that, you know, like the early days of the Golden State Warriors, I think people like this team nationally. And Mm -hmm. now they are not only the biggest villains in baseball, they're the biggest villains in sport and I don't know if they are built to deal with that sort of thing I understand there are no fans in the stands and again it's not the only reason why they're struggling and they're six and nine but I really wonder if these are the kind of guys who are comfortable wearing the black hat I think Carlos Correa is um, and I think he showed that with that Ken Rosenthal interview back in February I think Alex Bregman Bregman can be that guy I don't think Jose Altuve is, um, and I really wonder how these guys are mentally dealing with with that kind of fallout the last five or six months. Do you think I am way off base on this? No, I don't. I mean, I think it's it's natural to wonder about it. I mean, they went they they were vilified for how many months and continue to be and. Um, will continue to be for a long time because they they cheated three years ago um, in a year they won the World Series. I think that's completely a reasonable take on your part. I just don't – I guess the part I keep coming back to is like if, if you're one of these players 
and there's no fans in the stands. Um, what's to remind you of it while you're like competing? Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think they're reading the the replies on Twitter uh, if they're smart. I don't think they're looking <laughs> at the comment section on stories, right? Like I, like we see all this stuff, like fans on Twitter coming at them, and but like, do they do they just tune it out at this point? I, I don't. I, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's a, it's definitely like a valid thing to think about. I just don't know that it's a it's a reasonable explanation. I, I think more for me, it's more of like the small sample. Um, Fifteen games is not a large sample. Um, you know, Springer and Bregman are still performing above average OPS wise even if it's not their standards. Um, yeah. Altuve is the one who's well below average at this point, but also like, I mean, I guess it's, 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 it's 62 at bats. Like it's not yeah. a lot. I mean, that, that would be probably the, in fairness, the weakness of my argument that if you look player to player, the one guy who, because I like, I don't think Alex Bregman is the kind of guy, mentality-wise, who's going to be like really mentally ruined by national criticism. Like he just, uh, I mean, you, you've covered this guy for his entire major league career, Jake. Like I, I think Alex Bregman's not the kind of guy who's going to be affected by this sort of thing. Um, you know, Springer, I don't really, I don't really know as much, but judging by his season, he started off ice cold. Then he got red hot. Then he got hurt. And that's basically that's 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 essentially a, an, an encapsulation of his career, basically. So I, I so <laughs> I, I think yeah, he'll he's be streaky. Fine. Yeah, he's, he's streaky. streaky. We know that Bregman's uh, a slow starter. Altuve. Yep. I mean, he's not I mean, Altuve, the streakiest Al- hitter, but but like also, like, I don't know. I think we're we're forced to use these small samples because it's all we have. And we're, yes. we're going to have all year. Right. Like 60 games is not even a super large sample, but. I don't know. I I would be surprised if in a month he is still struggling. Yeah, that's the one I'm not like, I I, I wish I was there with you, um, but I'm not 100% convinced. Like logically at some point, I think he's going to hit better. And, you know, you, you've seen some flashes, whether he, you know, pounds one off Bumgarner last week or, you know, some of the hard hit balls this weekend. Uh, Chapman is just is is, is incredible defensively at third base. I, I love his defense. Um, he's an excellent player. Um, you would tend to think that Altuve at some point will turn this around. I, I just wonder, based on what you said in February, what other people have said, that if this is someone who's really where he, he's wearing this very hard internally. And while he may not be watching TV or reading the newspaper or the athletic or anything else that and there are no fans in the stands that Altuve walks into the ballpark every day knowing he's one of the best hitters in baseball and right now he is hitting 182 as of Monday morning that is what I wonder about and I could see him being the kind of guy who you know kind of puts pressure on himself too much pressure on himself every single day I've got 177 and you just made me read a batting average out out loud so Good, good job. How do we you. have different? This is amazing. Oh, you know what? Baseball reference isn't updated today yet. It's, you ah, were right. okay. You were right. You were right. My bad. Um, yeah, I don't well, it's really. Not, it's not like I did the calculation. <laughs> I guess I just went to the right place. <laughs> yeah. Um, now it looks updated to hit refresh. So um, <laughs> fair enough. I've got 182. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist and I can't project. I I don't really think it's it's fallout from sign stealing i just think um altuve 
is struggling and I'm sure he puts pressure on himself because he likes to get hits a lot and he's not getting many of them right now. But I really think we're going to look back on this in a month and, and not remember it um, too well. I, I, I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, you know, he's regressed. I mean, he is 30, right? Like at some point he's going to regress. Yeah. Um, it's unlikely but, it's going to happen to him this quickly, though, in this manner. You're right. 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 I think he's just his his timing looks off. He just doesn't look quite yeah, there yet. Um, but I, I do. I don't. I think we're projecting a little much if we think if we think it's just more than a, a baseball slump. Maybe I'm being naive or or whatever. But like the for for me, like the no fans in the stands is the big thing there. Like if he was getting booed every at bat, like and that was yeah, and this was happening, then I think we could draw. We could you know speculate a little bit easier. But like. I don't know. Do you even hear like piped in booze? I don't. I, I, it's hard to. The A's uh, piped in was kind of weird with like the elephant sound. Did you hear that? I, I don't know what was going on there. I don't know if I heard the elephant. I, I was listening for those ridiculous like, you know, the Vuvuzelas or whatever the heck. Yeah. They, the, the, the bang, not the, the bang of the drums they have in Oakland. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I mean, listen, I, I'm looking at this and. See, sometimes you sometimes you convince me, and it, I feel like it's, it's bad for my brand because I start out with this hot take about the sign stealing <laughs> scandal. Then I'm looking at this, I'm like, you know, I can kind of see your point here. It's really Altuve, and I, you know, I don't know what's going on in Altuve's mind, but I I do think that uh, like they need to get this they need to get this uh, in gear here. You know, six and nine, okay, it's a, it's a small sample size. Completely agreed, it's only 15 games, but they need to like right the ship against the Giants and the Mariners uh, on this homestand just to kind of get themselves uh, at equilibrium. Because I feel like nationally, people haven't really picked up on the Astros struggling too much uh, so far. But if they keep struggling, I feel like it's going to become <laughs> a bigger story. And I- I'm at the point where like you love I- the I national stuff. <laughs> I-, I love the national stuff. I'm, I'm fascinated by the by the dynamics. And like I don't know. If it- and and then I'm just like I'm. I'm watching Dusty Baker after every game, and and he's not really inspiring me either. Although, uh, it, you know what? My other thing is, I I feel like they should have hired Jeff Bannister. That that's how I'm feeling after watching the first 15 games. I feel like they should have hired Jeff Bannister. I know that's totally out of left field and totally out of nowhere, but I don't know if Dusty is really helping them all that much. I was on. I thought that Mark Kotze should have been the guy, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> I think we should fix uh, fix Dusty Baker's batting order right now because okay. Carlos Correa batting sixth and, and this was yeah, the obvi- with the obvious caveat of batting order doesn't really matter that much but like Carlos Correa has a three forty five batting average there there I go with batting average and a nine fifty six OPS he is objectively by far their best hitter right now and he's batting sixth or fifth sometimes right. Um, I think you need to get your best hitters more at bats and your struggling hitters less at bats. So how would you fix the batting order? And I, I assume you wouldn't have Josh Reddick batting second. No, I would not have Reddick batting second. Okay, so am I doing a lineup with Springer actually in it? Yeah, full strength. Actually, without Alvarez, but Springer's in it, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to – here's what I'll do. And I put you uh, on the spot here. We did not prep this. No, that's fine. Uh, okay, and you can correct me if I say something stupid. So I'm gonna go uh, Springer. I'm gonna go Springer, Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Brantley, Yuli, 
Uh, and then I'll do, and then I'll do, uh, let's see. I'm going to do, okay, Tucker, Maldonado, and Redick. That's what I I'll like do. I like it. I like it. I'm in. I think that's a better lineup. Yeah, I, I think I, I think at this point, like, it, it seems like Correa batting sixth or even, I don't even know, I don't know if he started the season batting seventh, but that seems like a carryover from the postseason where Correa essentially had a wasted 2019 between the injuries um, and in the postseason, other than the flashes of power, which obviously were important, it's not like he was hitting consistently. And it seems like Dusty kind of like took that and then kind of carried it forward into 2020. You got to adjust with what's going on. I'm not saying Correa has been perfect, struck out a couple times on Sunday, but Correa has clearly had a pretty strong start to the season. He needs to be hitting fourth or at least fifth. Like there's on a team that's struggling offensively, you can't justify Carlos Correa uh, in the lineup batting sixth. Like you, you can't justify that. Th- right. That's that's preposterous. Yeah, it's strange. Like there seems to be some things that carried over from the AJ Hinch way, um, which, like you mentioned, the Correa behind Guriel being one of them. But then other things that didn't, like Reddick batting ninth, like and Maldonado batting ahead of Reddick, which is how Hinch had it last year. Um, for the lefty righty part of it, um, so yeah, it's it's a little strange, but I don't know. I, I again, batting order where we probably talk too much about it. I think the the in game managing um, it's noticeable, right? Like I yes. think I think uh, watching the Astros since 2015, people probably got took AJ Hinch's in game management for granted a little bit, especially the last couple of years. Um, you know, and you could obviously argue with a lot of his decisions too, like the, you know, Game 7 World Series, whatever. But on a consistent day-to-day basis, I think he was really strong in that area, like top five um, in the game. I don't know how you quantify that, but that's just like my how it feels. And yeah. I, I think Dusty is is not that. I think, you know, the Toro for, for Tucker thing on Friday was, what? was bad. Um, what the hell was that? Like, it... Does Dusty think that Abraham Toro is a different human being? What am I missing here? It's like, yes, he had a great game in the Verlander no-hitter. Yes, he's a switch hitter. (laughs) The guy hasn't hit. Who does he think Abraham Toro is? Like, what are you doing taking Kyle Tucker out of that game in a situation where George Springer isn't playing? You're basically decimating your bench in a game that ended up going 13 innings. That... I, what is the justification for that decision on Friday? My God. Yeah. So his his rationale was that Deekman throws hard and and throws up. He, he throws hard. That's his logic. Basically, he and, throws and, hard. And Tucker was in his mind a bad matchup for Deekman, which is maybe true. I mean, let's also be honest. Like Tucker is not hitting the ball either. Like he he's had some flashes, but he's been below average on the on the whole. Agreed. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, like emptying out your entire bench essentially just to get a next maybe a marginal difference at best between Toro and Tucker um seemed uh you know like a a wrong decision from the get-go um you know intentionally walking the winning run in that same game right um yeah I I there's been a few of those that are that are questionable um you know our our guest that we're about to get to Blake Taylor did not pitch at all this weekend. Like if he's one of your best relievers coming, yeah, coming off of, uh, 
the start he's had and not pitching in the most important series of the year. Like I understand you don't want to use um, all your high leverage relievers in down games, but if you're down one or two, that's important too to keep it at that so that your offense can have a chance. Um, there's just been a lot. I think it's a noticeable drop off on the in-game management. Uh, and again, we don't yeah. we don't know how much any of this is worth. How much you know what 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 war does any manager have to a team? But I don't know. It's just something I, that I think we've all noticed. I agree with you. It doesn't seem like Dusty has had a great feel in, this, in these situations. I, I do have a, I, I am sympathetic to him in that he's had to debut nine rookies out of the bullpen. I think he's still trying to figure out uh, who he can re- rely on in the bullpen and, and who he can. And I actually think, despite the sweep, despite the five game losing streak, I actually think there are some legit positives. You know, Framber Valdez standing out, but even the bullpen, like Andre Scrub, three times in a row, I think has been really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake Taylor, who we'll hear from shortly, has, I, I think, been a, a breakout guy in the bullpen. Paredes on Friday was definitely his best performance. Presley looked much better in that game. So I, I think there are signs that, like, if, if, like, if this team got into the postseason, and if it's Zach Greinke pitching well, if it's Lance McCullough stabilizing things and you know going, let's say six innings of one or two run baseball, like I could see between Paredes and Taylor and maybe Scrub and Ryan Presley, how you have a formula, you know, to win important games against good teams. I can see that, but I just that Kyle Tucker Toro thing really frustrates me, Jake, because I mean. I don't know what Kyle Tucker is going to be. You don't know what Kyle Tucker is going to be, but even in a bad matchup, like Kyle Tucker is the kind of guy who can easily, you know, fly out to left field or right field in that spot and get you the run home. I understand it's a, it's a, you know, it's a slower runner, I think in Maldonado in that spot. Um, but I, I, that decision just really, really did not sit well with me. He, on he, Friday, he hits into the shift a lot too. So if say he grounded into the shift, Straw could have scored potentially, right? Straw's really fast. Yes, good point. Yes. So even in like a bad outcome, normally like they might have scored. Um, yeah, it was it was a strange decision for sure. Um, like you said, Toro's not some like lefty masher by any means. It's actually his weaker side. And my um, fault. I, I real quick. I said Maldonado. Maldonado had the sacrifice. Obviously, it was Straw at third. A stupid point by me. So yes, like Kyle Tucker's the kind of guy who, in his normal at bats, like he'll hit the ball hard. So, you know, either you know to the outfield or wherever, and it's just, it's just to the wrong spot. So to me, like I, I don't think Kyle Tucker, whether it's a righty or a lefty, I, I think he. I, I'm not worried about him trying to you know get a sacrifice fly or even a sacrifice ground out in that kind of spot. I think he's perfectly equipped. Nor do I think Abraham Toro makes me feel any better in that situation. If it's a Ledmus Diaz, I, I can see it. But Abraham Toro doesn't have the resume that Diaz has. Diaz hits righties better than lefties, too. They, they don't really have that big bopper off the bench um, to hit face lefties. Like, you know, maybe Taylor Jones could project to be that guy. Uh, but you know, he's not with the team and yeah. also hasn't done it. Hasn't had a chance to do it either. But... Yeah, they just don't really have that guy. So, yeah, the the difference in Toro versus Tucker, like it's not worth losing your entire bench over. Um, again, strange decision. Probably shouldn't um, belabor the point um, too much, but it's just something to keep an eye on with Dusty uh, moving forward in the in-game management. Um, it's it's kind of telling that our, our, our guest coming up here, Blake Taylor, is leading the Astros in war. 
despite not pitching all weekend. <laughs> Yes. Uh, at least according to baseballreference.com's version of the metric. Um, to kind of preview our, our conversation, we spoke to Blake on Friday while he was at the team hotel in San Francisco before the, the players bust over to Oakland to the Coliseum for the first game of that series. Um, so we didn't talk about this weekend with him um, because it hadn't happened yet. Um, it was a fun conversation, I thought. Uh, Blake is is really interesting. I, it's it's a weird full circle thing for me. Um, my like, it's just really strange and I, people don't care about me or nor should they, but like, um, I care, but my first <laughs> job out of college, like my first real journalism job was covering high school sports for the orange County register. And it was Blake Taylor's draft year. And so I wrote a story, um, about Blake Taylor as like a draft preview because he was one of the top prospects in Orange County that year, uh, I believe 2013. Uh, yeah, 2013. And um, so it's just weird. Like when the Astros traded for him, I didn't even know he was still in baseball. And then now all of a sudden I'm covering him again um, in this fashion. And so I had to, of course, I had to go dig up. I, di- I didn't bring this up on our interview, but I had to go dig up the story I wrote about him. <laughs> for the Orange County Register on June 1st, 2013, and terrible writing by me, for sure. Uh, so I'm glad that you can't access it. I had to go to a secret database to find it. But um, <laughs> one quote that I thought was really interesting was at the end of the story, his high school coach, Dana Hill's coach, Tom Ferris, said he's got so much more potential and upside at 17 years old. At 24 years old, seven years from now, he's going to be a totally different kid. He's going to be something to watch, end quote. And it's just weird. Like, he's 24 now. It's exactly seven years later. Uh, and he is pitching really well for the Astros. And just a weird, like, full circle thing for for um, for me as, as a baseball writer that, like, cover this guy. I mean, I, I didn't know him well or, you know, I covered him once. But just 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 a weird experience. Um, no, I... I, I totally I, I totally get that. Um, I, I think about when I when I started broadcasting and it, it's rare that things come full circle in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's so random. Like, think about the odds. Of, <laughs> yeah. Think about the odds of like you going to Penn State, getting a job in getting a job like around L.A. covering Blake Taylor. Then in 2020, he's like <laughs> he's the guy in the bullpen who's been, a you know, kind of a breakout star so right. far in this very young season. Like, It's a weird it's a weird connection. Yeah. And I did bring it up to him in spring training when I first introduced myself to him. And he said something to the effect of, are you the guy who wrote that I was a righty? Um, and I was not. I can confirm in the story. I did not. Well, that's that good. must have been someone else at the OC register who who said righty Blake Taylor. He is. I definitely <laughs> called him a lefty, but um, I don't know. He seems like a fun personality, and I, I think our interview was, was pretty fun. And um, I'm gonna stop rambling, and we're gonna get to that interview right now after a quick word from Indochino. Joining us now on the show from the Bay Area is Astros rookie reliever Blake Taylor. First off, Blake. Thanks for joining us today. We we really appreciate your time. Um, to to jump right into things, you've been you know a big leaguer now for two weeks. Uh, I don't know if it feels longer or shorter than that, but it's maybe the weirdest season ever to debut. And not only have you debuted, but you've gotten to pitch high leverage innings from the get go and, and had some success. Um, I guess just how would you sum up the, this whole experience for you so far? Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you guys for having me on. This is awesome. Love being a part of this stuff. I 
glad I could uh, get the opportunity to do this. And yeah, second to answer your question, I mean, it's, I mean, it's still baseball to me. Like, I know it's a weird season. I know it's, there's no fans in the stands. I know it's, you're confined to your room, like on the road and you're like, you have to be cautious. You're wearing masks and everything like that, but it's still the same game played between the lines in my mind. It's still the same exact game. And I, I cherish every single second I'm up here because as a kid, I dreamed of being up here and I'm not going to let something that's going on ruin that dream that I, I, gave, me, I gave myself. And you know what? I like, it's still the same game in my eyes and it's not going to be like this forever. So I'm, I'm actually kind of, I was actually kind of excited to get my feet wet before having fans in there. I'm not going to lie. Cause you know, going into, going into road stadiums in the big leagues can't be easy with fans. So, you know, I'm just glad I'm getting my feet wet and just mm-hmm. kind of have some guidance for my first year, hopefully my first year in the big leagues and, you know, just kind of pick up on things and get like a, it's almost like a test run for the big big leagues, which is nice because not many people get that. So I, it's, I'm looking at it in a different perspective than I think everybody else is. What is it like, Blake, for you on the road? Like what's, what's the day like before you go to the ballpark? Is it basically you just sit there in, the, in your hotel room? What, what exactly do you do all day before you have to go to the ballpark? I mean, my schedule doesn't, hasn't really changed much because of this. I'm not, I'm, I don't really go out very much. I'm not a very out out kind of guy so i mean i i kind of sit inside and you know what I, like i got I, I started getting into golf a lot so i watched the golf channel or the, the big the pga championships like right around the corner actually which is pretty cool uh that would have been cool to see a person but you know i just watch a lot of stuff on tv and just kind of hang out with our friends but we're, we're not allowed to like congregate in the same room together with teammates we're not allowed to like leave the hotel so I mean, I, I mean, I'm not mad about these precautions because I'm. I want to look out for the safety of my family, myself, my teammates, their families. So we just want to keep it safe, and we want to keep baseball going. We don't want anything to happen because of something, someone going out and doing something, and we don't want to shut down. Like we don't want anything to happen. I wanted to go back to December 5th of last year, which. You know, given everything that's happened, seems like another lifetime ago. But um, that was the day you were traded to the Astros uh, along with a young outfielder named Kennedy Corona in exchange for Jake Marisnik. Yes. Um, how did you find out and and what was your reaction? Like, what, what do you remember about that day? Um, well, I was I woke up to a, a bunch of text messages. I think that was one of the days I let myself kind of sleep in, which was interesting <laughs> day to do that. <laughs> Um, but I had probably 27 text messages and like 16 <laughs> missed calls. And I like, what's going on? I looked at my phone and like all my text, me- I got like some buddies saying like, dude, congrats, get traded to the Astros. I was like, wait, what? And then I, I got a voicemail. So I listened to that and it was our farm director, Jared Banner. And he told me to call him. So I called him and he had told me, Hey, like, you probably already see the news, but I just wanted to tell you in person, like, Hey, you got, uh, we were trading you to the Houston Astros. Like, and he, he was, te- he was congratulating me. He was, uh, we were talking about like everything that happened in the past year. So we just had like a conversation about everything like that. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a crazy feeling because I, I had literally just watched them in the postseason. And you know what? They won it in 2017. Like they, they've been 
the top dogs in the West for a, a three years, four years. But yep. they've been a they've been a three very years, they've yeah. been a very big thorn in a lot of teams' sides. And you know the the fact that they wanted me made me feel really good about what I could bring to the table. And then just coming here and that their pitching side of everything as good as everyone knows it is it's it's that good it's it's unbelievable well on that note Blake I had read that you had said previously when you first met with the Astros that you learned more about yourself in the first 15 minutes of meeting with them than you had in your minor league career how did that happen and what 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 do you what, what did you mean by that like what did you learn about yourself as a pitcher so I I sat down in this meeting and they had this PowerPoint and they gave me, they gave me real life footage of like, they gave me like slow-mo. They gave me like spin analysis. They gave me so much stuff on everything I throw. And like, obviously the stats on it, like exit velo on this pitch, like in every splits against righties and lefties. And you look at it and they show you the shape of your pitches and they, they, they show you other players similar to you and they, they show you how they attack with the weapons they have. So they were telling, they were talking about this is, this is where your strengths play immensely. Like we, we want you to work on this and this. And then they're like, these are your weaknesses. So we want you to do this and this to sharpen your weaknesses and stuff like that. And for you, uh, you know, you're pretty much focusing on on your fastball and your slider in a relief role. But what what have you changed this year um, working with the Astros? Like based on that meeting, like what what were your weaknesses and strengths, and how can how have you been able to maximize the strengths? Uh, you know, I've been uh, really working on living up in the zone with my fastball. Just it has that backspin. It has it's a hoppy fastball according to analytics. So I'm just trying to use it in the top of the zone to get like swing and misses or weak contact, like weak pop flies. And then, you know, if I can get it down in the zone, it, it gets pretty, it gets ground balls. And uh, then I could, if I work down, I could also work in my slider, like off that pitch. So I've just been trying to change eye levels a lot more and work more like work away on some righties. That's what I've been trying to really focus on is working away as well. Hmm. So when you say you have a hoppy fastball, did you is that something you knew b- before? And also, like I, I've heard a lot of people, or some people, I should say, refer to your fastball as as like a cutter. Um, how, how did you like? Is it more of a four seamer or is it more of a cutter in, in your in your eyes? Um, in my eyes, I cannot tell you. <laughs> I, I, don't, I can't really see what the ball's doing. You know, sometimes I'll throw it and be like, "God, that was straight," and then I'll get in the dugout and the catcher will be like, "Bro, that thing moved like crazy." I'll be like. Man, I have terrible vision or something. <laughs> but no, it's just I mean, from what from what I've heard in the past like past couple of years, I, I mean, I, I still talk to my catcher, my my catcher from the Mets in Binghamton last year, Patrick Mazika. Him and I still talk and he was he was one of the first people that like really saw what I had and was like, "Hey, we're going to run with this." Like, you got good you got a good cutter and it looks, it's got a, it's a backspin cutter. He goes, that's very rare. We're hmm. going to just work off that. So he was kind of like, well, the first person to actually tell me that kind of deal. And then like, so when I got over here, it was a little easier for me to talk to the catchers about it. And then when the catchers first saw me, they were like, okay, yeah, we understand this. So 
it was just like that. Yeah, like that was it was weird. Like I I don't see it personally, but every, all the catchers say they have it, so I just trust them because I mean, how can you not trust them? They're at this level for a reason, right? Blake, going back into your minor league career, you played with a fellow by the name of Tim Tebow back in 2017. What was that like, and what was he like as a as a teammate? Uh, Tim, Tim Tebow is one of the, the nicest, most genuine human beings I think I've ever met in my life. Just, hmm. he works hard. He's He always wants to get better. He always wants to work on something. He's always... He always is. He's just hungry for more every time. That's just the, that's just what I got from him. Like if he needed help running routes, he was out there during BP running routes. If he needed help hitting a slider. You know, he, we've set up, they set up the slider. Like it's just every, every day, this guy was trying to work on something and every, and he was just, he's just a workhorse. He's an animal out there. It, that's just what I, that's just what I saw. And that's what I got from him. I mean, I only played with him for probably half a season, but in that half a season, that's what I saw. The, the Mets were your second organization. I, I don't know if everyone listening knows that you were drafted by the Pirates first and then traded within your first year after the draft, I believe, um, in the Ike Davis deal, which was an April trade, which you don't see very often anymore. Um, and you were the, officially the player to be named later, right? But is it true that like when you're the player to be named later, you find out? when the trade is made and then you just can't say anything like how does that work for um for for those rules i didn't know <laughs> okay <laughs> i didn't know until the day i got traded to be so honest. you didn't know till like that june when, yeah, when the so, deal was a f- okay exactly i didn't i had no idea i was getting traded i was going about my days down in uh bradenton florida and extended i was just going about my days like it was a normal day and i didn't think anything of it because i was like i just got here like i don't there's no way and right. Well, what do you know? When the phone rang, and I think it was on Father's Day that year, actually. Yeah, it was on Father's Day. And I just remember I was at breakfast, and Larry Broadway called, and he goes, "Hey, we're trading you." And I was like, "What? That happens? Okay. Did I do something wrong?" And like, I was just kind of confused. But he said, "No, like you didn't do anything wrong. We just..." They just wanted you really badly, and we needed Ike Davis at first base. So I was like, okay. That was, so it was like that kind of experience. This might be kind of a strange question, but going back, Blake, to something you said about five minutes ago, what is it like as a major league pitcher to pitch in a ballpark with no fans in the stands? Obviously, they pipe in they pipe in crowd noise. I have no idea like what's just on TV versus what you guys get on the actual field. Was that an adjustment? Was that strange? What is that dynamic like for you whenever you're out there now? Uh, for me, I... So for me, the sick, like I try to, the second I walk through those bullpen doors to get on the field, I try to just focus in on just me and the catcher. Like that's what I try to do. That's my job. Like I get on the, I get on the mound. I just picture me and the catcher, me and the catcher. I don't picture the hitter. I try not to picture anything in the background. So I honestly think the no fans has helped me focus on that. So, but yeah, it, it was strange it is strange going into these big stadiums. Like I just remember being a kid going into these stadiums and like, Oh my gosh, there's so many seats. And I'm still thinking that I walk in, I'm like, man, there's so many seats. Like, like it's crazy. Like how would this place look? Like I'm picturing like, like 
it's weird that I'd ha- you'd have to picture in the big leagues, like, what would this place look like filled out? Again, that's a <laughs> weird question to ask yourself because I'm sure mm-hmm. who like maybe that I guess was that Baltimore Whites that Baltimore Orioles White Sox game in Chicago or, or Baltimore. I can't remember where that was a couple years ago where they, yeah. where they they had no fan. Yeah. And it was just weird. <laughs> and like watching it on TV, you're just like, wow, that's weird. But now it's like this whole season is that. So like what's they, it like in the in the bullpen? Um I mean it's same old bullpen. We're all just down there, uh I mean, we all just it's it's easier to focus and it's you don't have uh fans like throwing stuff at you i don't know if that happens or like asking for autographs or asking for stuff so it's kind of <laughs> right. like so it's almost like you have more now you can focus more and you don't have as many distractions in the bullpen we, we spoke on our last episode about like the transition guys make from both from relief to starting, but more so from starting to relief. It's a transition you made um, after 2018. Um, was that difficult being a starter your whole life to to make to kind of pull the plug on starting after the 2018 season? And how do you think you've benefited from becoming a reliever full time? Um, I don't think it was that big of a uh, transition for me. I I always thought I was going to end up in the bullpen somewhere. Mm. You know, I, I struggled mm. having stamina, like for durations of time, like four or five innings, man, like that took a toll on me, but good starters in the big leagues, you know, they can go six, seven, eight innings and continue having the same velocity and everything. And I'm just like, I don't know if I could do that. And then I just remember going into the 2019, season the pitching who what he the pitching coordinator of assistant coordinator phil regan came up to me and was like hey would you want to be in the bullpen this year and i said absolutely sign me up put me in there let's see how this goes so i went in the bullpen and they put me in high to get some experience in the bullpen and i fell in love with it i just fell in love i i'm like you know what i can go out there and give that everything I got for one, two, if need be, three innings, that sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> Blake, what's it like working with Brent Strom? It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing to work with a guy who's so knowledgeable. He just, I just remember I, in spring training, I wanted to, one of my, one of my weaknesses was the consistency and of my slider shape. So he, he literally like took the ball for me and he said, grip it like this. And I gripped it exactly the way he did it. And I think I threw four perfect sliders in a row. And I looked at him. I was like, <laughs> okay, sweet. Like it's been, wow. it was that and he goes, yep. So just working on stuff with him. It's just, he's so knowledgeable. He's just so quick to see adjustments so and and even it's same with josh miller our bullpen guy like i'll be warming up for a game and he'll be like hey like remember do this remember slow down remember this on your slider so it's just like both of them are both on they're on the exact same page so you're not you're never going to receive two different adjustments because they're on the exact same page it's awesome to work with a pitching staff like this you're you're from uh southern california brent strom's from a the San Diego area. Does he work that angle with you a lot and bring up the, the SoCal connection? No, no, I actually did not know that. 
Yeah, he's a big SoCal guy. He went to uh, USC. Yeah, I mean, he li- he lives in uh, Arizona now. So. Right, right. I mean, him and I, him and I go on the the lefty thing. Okay, Tommy John. Mm. I mean, him and I, him and I do that that kind of stuff. That makes sense. We, yeah. He was the, I mean, you know, he was the second person to get Tommy John, right? I know. I, I was. I told him <laughs> I was like, it's crazy. I almost got the Bridgestrom surgery. That'd have been weird. <laughs> Yeah, I think his line is he's the Buzz Aldrin of Tommy John surgery, the second second yeah. guy. So yeah, he's like, no one cares about the second guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, Blake, um, we we know you have to run soon to get to the ballpark, but um, thank you so much again for your time here. We really appreciate it, and uh, safe travels back to Houston. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Jake, I enjoy that conversation with Blake Taylor. He seems like he's in that window, which I think is a pretty short window of a major league baseball player where like they're they're excited to talk to people in the media because they're used to like, you know, the minor leagues and buses and whoever the heck's covering minor league baseball. Uh, And now he's being asked to do, you know, podcasts and radio interviews and like people know who Blake Taylor is and he's had a good start to the season. Yeah, no, it was a fun, fun conversation for sure. I feel like we hit on a lot of different topics that he hadn't discussed before um i don't know i enjoyed it i i wanted to elaborate real quick on my like random player to be named later point um so like i was under the impression that when there's a player to be named later of which we're going to see a lot of in 2020 because that's the way to get around being able to only trade from your player pool um like that's that's the loophole basically good um i was under the impression that the players actually know when they are a player to be named later, but I guess not, or maybe at least not in 2014. Um, like back in back then, I'm not sure if the rules the same now, but like you couldn't trade a guy who was drafted within a year of him being drafted within a year of him signing after the draft, I think is what it was. So that's why Taylor didn't actually get traded until that June, even though the trade was in April. It's the same thing when the Astros acquired Chris Davinsky, from the White Sox, they knew on trade day they were getting Chris Davinsky. They just couldn't announce it or tell the world who who was in the trade until he had been signed for a year. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the same now, but I was I was actually surprised to hear Taylor say that he didn't know until June. I thought that there was um, it was one of those like oh you can't tell anyone, but you're going to be on this new team. Um, think, it's interesting. Think isn't about. It? Absolutely. I mean, think about the things that we accept in sports as like the normal course of business that in any other life context would be the weirdest thing ever. Like imagine if, you know, the athletic made a trade with like ESPN and somehow they, they had like a journalist to be named later and they, they, they like informed you that like, hey, listen, they're, they're, listen, here's what's going to happen. Like in in January, you're going to be going over to ESPN or going over to wherever. And so you've got to just like, you know, keep working or whatever, except in their case, They'd be going to a totally different organization, a totally different city, and they would have to theoretically like keep it, uh, keep it inside and keep it hidden from people. Um, like that would be the weirdest thing ever, right? Yeah, for sure. And it also becomes like part of your player narrative, right? Like when Chris Davinsky mm-hmm. had his rise to All Star in 2016, 2017, Like every time he was featured, it was like former player to be named later, but he was really only a player to be named later because of the rules, right? Like it's not like yes. he was this throwaway. I mean, he definitely wasn't considered to be like a, a legit, like future all-star prospect by any means, but like, I don't know. We, we, we kind of um, fall for it in a way. Right. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to see a ton of these this year. The Astros did one, have done a couple already, right? They, when they traded for Hector Velasquez, 
it was a player to be named later. Um, yep. When they traded for Brooks Raley on Sunday night with the Reds. Yeah, this weekend. It was just DFA. It was a player to be named later. Um, like that's the that's – the, because of the rules are you can only trade from your player pool. That's, that's the loophole to get around it and trade from your entire system. Is Brooks Raley going to be the guy who saves the uh, pitching staff? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, Texas A&M guy, though. Um, yes. So I'm sure the local media will have fun with that one. Um, oh, God. <laughs> see, the, the, the local TV stations in Houston are going to be all over that. They will be all over is that there, one. Is there one person you're thinking of in particular? No, I'm just I'm, don't, actually, don't actually, that. no, <laughs> no. I think it's, just, it's, it's a it's a commonality among the local TV stations in Houston. They, <laughs> they love these local connections. Yeah, uh, I don't know much about Mr. Rayleigh, but um, yeah, he's going to join the major league roster. So another another reliever to add to the Astros bullpen inexperienced bullpen roulette that they're playing every day. Um, and we should note that they, they've transferred Roberto Osuna to the 45 day IL. So yep. don't expect to see him anytime soon. Um, thanks everyone for listening today. Uh, I thought that was a good jam packed episode. Fun, fun stuff. A lot of stuff to talk to good stuff from Blake Taylor. If you're enjoying the podcast, please Rate and review us on Apple. Subscribe on Apple. Subscribe on Spotify. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, you know, you know, we launched this thing in March, and now we finally have so much to talk about. It's been, it's been great. If I have to say so myself, um, I hope you agree, Mike. I, I totally agree. Yes, I, I, you know, I hope this season goes as long as possible. The Cardinal situation scares me, but you know, it seems like they've knock on wood, pray they've gotten things under control with other teams. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed having these games back. Uh, in my life every single day yeah so that'll be it for this episode um we'll see you guys on thursday